and welcome to the Saturday Night Sound Podcast. He is Chris Marler. I am Ryan Guerra. Marler, you were right. South Carolina scrounged together $13 million and agreed to pay Will Muschamp $270,000 a month for the next 49 months for him not to coach. Go off. I mean, you could have just stopped the whole podcast right there and just after I was right. Um, yeah, it's, it's an amazing, amazing time to be Will Muschamp. I know it sucks. I, you know, I, there were a lot of people that were, I think like with anything like firing these days, like my job is to make jokes a lot of times. And we had some hilarious memes. And I know a, lo- a lot of other people brought up the point that like he is a person, he has a family, all that kind of stuff. But regardless, it, I, it, me feeling bad for Will Muschamp is not going to be a thing that lasts for a very long time. You hate it for him? Good dude. First person to ever answer a question of mine at Media Days? Love him. There we go. Yeah. But I can't feel bad for somebody making $270,000 a month for 49 months. Good work if you can get it. Yeah. Um, so a little peel behind the onion here. This news came out on Sunday night, as people know, and we were recording on, well, we recorded Sunday morning. And a lot of times if breaking news comes out on, you know, like Sunday night or something like that, or, you know, if it's a Wednesday night during the week, well, after we record, we'll go in and we'll, you know, add something in the beginning to basically say like, hey, this happened. This is going to sound really old by the time that you listen to the rest of this segment, you know, like Saban, COVID, stuff like that. But this pod had already been out for four hours by the time that this news came down. So we ultimately decided, all right, we're just going to address all of this stuff on the podcast that we record on Wednesday. So if you were wondering why we didn't have that in the podcast for Monday, it's because it came out on Sunday, yeah. actually. Um, so, uh, But we have a lot of Muschamp stuff that we're going to get to, talking about the future, what's next, a little post-mortem stuff. We are going to talk about the story that we found out about at LSU that came out from USA Today as it relates to negligence and reporting uh, sexual assaults cases within the program we're going to talk about our we have our picks our over-unders all that fun stuff and we just recorded this great great interview with matt barry of espn that's matt barry not matthew barry yeah, matt barry the espn sports center anchor who also is all over your tv every single saturday on espn's family of networks so if we're going to want to stick around for that we've got Bagman edition of fourth and wrong we've got a ton of yeah. stuff to get to marler before we get going, Will Muschamp has a lot of money for some Texas Pete. I tell you what, just what a dream that would be, huh? Like, I, we talked about that fridge last week at your new place. There's just nothing like, F you, I got a fridge, full, a fridge full of Texas Pete kind of money. You know what I mean? And that is where Will Muschamp finds himself right now. I wish that's where I found myself. Regardless, the four to five to 13 bottles of Texas Pete I keep just, you know, you know I keep that thing on me all the time. And to, next week... We talk about tailgating and home gating and how essential Texas Pete is to, to those things. There's no more essential time for Texas Pete than Thanksgiving. And, and, and here's why. Thanks, I mean, turkey's not, is not a, a good tasting food. It's bland. It's overrated. It's dry. It makes you fall asleep to forget that you even had it in the first place. I mean, it says a lot about a food that you have to douse it in gravy, um, you know, just to make it taste like edible. So next week, the best advice, I give you gambling advice all the time. Best advice I can give you for, for Thanksgiving um, one, get to the front of the line before your fat aunt does and steals all the good sides. Two, put a little mini bottle of Texas Pete in your pocket and then douse your turkey in that. Douse it in flavor. Uh, Thanksgiving is a time for giving thanks. It's, it's not a time for sharing your food, okay, or your Texas Pete. Make sure you have your own bottle. you got to come prepared. We can't lose our composure. There you go. 
That's good stuff. I, I whenever I think about the um, whenever I think about like the how would I spend my first million? Um, mm-hmm. If you've seen that, GQ does this cool special. Two has been on it before. They get a lot of young athletes that are a part of that. I always think with you, if it was the how I spent my first million, you'd be like. 250 grand texas pete and then you'd have to push over the cash <laughs> that they that they give him like the fake money that would yeah, be you i like that that's, that's all you know real real quick um speaking of that i, I have to share this mckaylin crabtree one of our listeners she did a, a an actual college assignment for her journalism class on me this week and oh boy yeah and i was like i don't understand why why what is happening and why and she's like well I had to convince my teacher to let me do it because I told her um, that I was going to do it on you at first, and she said no. And I was like, okay, probably for the best. <laughs> Why was that? She said, the teacher asked who I was because it, be it has to be on someone in journalism, which is already a stretch. And she said, he's a comedian that, that does gambling, which is not wrong. No, it's not. But, um, yeah, just, I mean, anyway, just the, the ways that I'm, – I'm, gl- I'm glad that – what you think about how it's my first million and how she thinks of me as a person is, is, is par for the course. She could have led with podcast co-host. That was a thing, Connor. That is at the top of the resume. It's, um, it's but- 2020. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess everybody's I kind of a it. podcast it was good. host these days. South Carolina makes the decision to fire Will Muschamp. Gamecocks make the announcement late on Sunday night. He's gone after a 2-5 and five start. Three consecutive dud games, three consecutive dud years. We've already seen a handful of opt-outs in Columbia, including J.C. Horn, Israel Mukamu. Uh, we'll get to more of that later in kind of the mass exodus in Columbia, how it relates to the rest of their season. I want to say this about Muschamp. I think he's a good dude. Yeah. I do. I really do. And th- you saw some of the stuff that came out, you know, Alyssa Lang had some really nice words to say to say about him, and there are a lot of people who speak very highly of Will Muschamp, the person. I think more than anything else, he's a capitalist, um, <laughs> and this is just perfect proof of that. Spurrier had yeah. a nice little jab about him <clears throat> not walking away empty-handed from this whole deal, and he's 100% right. I mean, Will Muschamp went 56-51 and 51 as a head coach at Florida and South Carolina, and he's getting paid north of $20 million not to coach. Yeah, you know, and I, I tell you what, like, there's two ways to look at everything. I, I've learned this from Twitter. It's a new thing I've learned this week on Twitter, um, which is no matter what or how you present something, there's going to be like 87 different narratives that people are going to have from it. Like, they're going to people are going to see it like in like however they want to. There's two ways to look at this thing. We talk about how tough it is for Muschamp that he had to be the guy following the guy, right? Yeah, that is difficult. However. You, by the guy following the guy, you mean following Sean Elliott, right? Right, exactly. But like, but he, he had to follow Spurrier and he had to follow Urban Meyer and, and like tremendous success. So he's already kind of be like on a little bit of like a, I don't want to say a short leash, but you know he, he's going to be open to criticism from the fans. Um, that being said, he also was able to be in a situation where you were riding the coattails, kind of 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 like some of the best, you know like half decades in, in both programs' histories, especially South Carolina. South Carolina was a rough situation, I think, when Spurrier left it. True. When you leave in the middle of the season, and I think you know people would point to his recruiting and lack lack thereof as, as a reason that it was difficult for him to start off. Florida, different scenario. Yeah. I, I still go back to that. I still think that was a, a more egregious job and a sign that, you know what, like – this guy's he's not a head coach. He's just right. not a head coach. There are certain people that are not a head coach. We talk about this all the time. Yeah. 
I mean, he'll inevitably be Alabama's next defensive coordinator, right? I hope not. I, it's just like, I mean, analysts, sure, but yeah, I mean, like, it, but yeah, I think you're right. Like, it, and he's a great, he really is a great dude. He's, he's like a really nice guy. He could have absolutely ripped me apart at media days when I asked that, like, the very first question I ever asked, and I didn't realize his son was the quarterback of the high school that I had brought up in the question. I, like, I love him to death. I think it's, you know, he's like an SEC, like, almost staple or fixture at this point, but. Yeah, I think you're right. Just not a head coach. Yeah, I want Muschamp to actually take a, a one-year break where we just get to see Chill Muschamp, and there's the stories that Ooh. come out about him. Chill doing Muschamp. Like, yeah, Chill Muschamp. You see what I did there? That's good. Yeah, and he's just sitting there, you know, on, on the lake house and enjoying life, and, you know, you see the random video of him, like, yelling at someone. He's going to be really big on Cameo, I'm sure. Um, well, Muschamp's going to do just fine. Uh, top three realistic candidates for South Carolina. And I say realistic because – to be 100% honest, I, I don't think Joe Brady is realistic just no. because I don't think he's following that path. And I saw that thrown out there as well. When you're, you know, he's at, he's with the Panthers, there's the local the local tie that way, but I don't necessarily see him as a guy that wants to go and, and yeah. try and recruit at that level um, in, in college and be a head coach like that. Three realistic candidates are obvious. I'm not breaking news by saying this, but Hugh Freeze, Billy Napier, Steve Sarkeesian. Tell me I'm wrong. No, it's, I mean... I think Hugh Freeze, Billy Napier, and, and I would honestly almost say Jamie Chadwell from from Coastal Carolina before Sarkeesian. Um, they, I think Sarkeesian definitely wants to get back into like into being a head coach. I wonder how many people, and especially with his ties and like his like, you know, his roots kind of not being from the southeast. I I wonder we see so many of these people from the saving coaching tree getting head coaching jobs, but how many more really want to be in the same conference with him? It's a good question because it's getting to the point now where uh, like half the schedule is just saving disciples yeah. for, for Alabama. I mean, seriously, like that's it's getting now to that that area. And Billy Napier would, of course, follow in that. And Steve Sarkeesian would as well if they were to get SEC head coaching jobs. But, yeah, I mean, I, I think that if you're South Carolina, it's pretty obvious what the identity that you're going for. Ray Tanner pretty much said, we're going to hire an offensive-minded yeah. head coach. You need to be able to score in 2020. You need a head coach who can scheme. And I truly think that the the, the days of hiring this, like, you know, defensive-minded <laughs> – um, this defensive-minded type coach is is fading in a hurry because yeah. all of these guys are realizing, oh, I've got to hire somebody high-priced to be able to scheme guys open on offense, and you pay a lot for these offensive coordinators. And I think they're going to be more few and far between given the nature of, of the sport. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I think Hugh Freeze has to be the target. I, I really do. And South Carolina fans, I, I know that they'll, they would welcome that with, with open arms because of how splashy it would be, but – I think beyond that, and I've I've been someone who criticized him and said, look, I don't I don't necessarily disagree with Greg Sankey and his unofficial ban that he had on him in 2018 when you know Alabama wanted to hire him as an offensive coordinator. There yeah. are other other SEC programs that wanted to hire him. Lord knows Gus Malzahn wanted to as well. But I think it's different now with Ole Miss not facing these you know these sanctions that mm-hmm. they were and not having to face against him. And there's been reports I saw AL.com that said that Greg Sankey wouldn't exactly roll out the red carpet for him, but at the same time, I think he's willing to not have this this unofficial ban on Hugh Freeze. So in my opinion, that shouldn't be the hiccup. And if you're Hugh Freeze, this window is now. What you're doing in college football is is special. And the the whole reason you go to a place like Liberty is to get back into, you know, one of these jobs. And it's it's Kiffin-esque in a way in terms yeah. of the rebuild. But I think that Hugh Freeze, the timing makes sense. And I'm not necessarily of the belief that he's going to like hold out for the Auburn or the Tennessee jobs. 
the Tennessee job was kind of a surprise. That that kind of threw a wrinkle into my thinking with this because I I didn't realize that he apparently grew up like a uh, like a huge Tennessee fan. Uh, but I I think that like waiting around for the potential for a job for that is I don't see that happening. You know, like I don't either. Uh, I also like and you know we love Peter Burns and all that kind of stuff. He he brought this up the other day that he he thinks it's a possibility because Liberty is is like a you know. He just got a, a contract extension. It's a, it's a better school. People give it credit for. Like they have like one of the, like the you know biggest endowments on the maybe on the East Coast, something like that, from like a non-major school. I don't think any of that matters. Like I, I don't think Hugh Freeze is going to Liberty to stay at Liberty forever. I, I mean, you bring up the Kiffin thing, and, and you're spot on. Like it is like Kiffin-esque, but like there's a difference between like Lane Lane Kiffin going to Boca Raton and just chilling at the beach versus like going to wherever Liberty is uh, in in Virginia. So I, I think that. Like, I've said since, like, from, from day one when we started hearing these rumors that this makes the most sense, and it, it makes sense not just because of the name and a splash hire and his, his success that he had at Ole Miss or whatever, but, like, what he does as a coach in terms of being able to differentiate yourself from other teams, like, from, like, in your own division, in your own conference, like, not, not just from, like, a winning standpoint, but, like, he fits, he checks every box from what you would want to do to differentiate, differentiate yourself from day one. From, from your rivals, your your division opponents, and the conference opponents. Because he's a player's coach. He's going to recruit. He doesn't necessarily have to get five stars to be successful. And, and we've seen this as a program like where they've had five stars in the past, but it's it's not a state that provides a lot of them. Like, you know, it, it's like one every couple of years, maybe. So I, I think that being able, like not having to depend solely on recruiting and still being able to get enough coach to get you a couple wins, like every season that maybe you shouldn't have, um, Hugh Freeze is perfect. It's not gimmicky, but it's it's a perfect hire for like, for the situation they're in. Yeah, and I understand the skeletons in the closet there, and you know Hugh Freeze and Steve Sarkeesian both obviously have things in their past that prevented them from yeah, continuing off. on that track as Power Five head coaches. Yeah, I mean it's you know it's baggage nonetheless. Um, yeah, and and I think that you know both both of those guys are going to be very popular candidates because you just look what they're, what they're doing from an offensive standpoint. That's what you need to be able to do in developing quarterbacks and figuring out ways to be able to score points in this era is a prized commodity. Yeah. I, think, I think this job is pretty good, and I think it's attractive on a couple of fronts because I think in this coaching carousel, you're not going to necessarily see a ton of these Power 5 jobs open up. Right. I think you look at South Carolina, you have a new $50 million football facility mm-hmm. for football operations. You've got, I think, one of the, not necessarily one of the best, but you've got, you've got talent in that state, and you don't have to necessarily worry about Clemson in the same way because Clemson recruits at a national level, yeah. and that's what's been able, to, what's allowed South Carolina to get so many of these local big-time recruits. And you know, you you go to a place like South Carolina where the bars bars pretty low. You're in the SEC East. I, is it though? You beat. I think I still think it's I still think it's low in that they're going to get on board for this new identity. They're yeah. going to get on board for this new offense, and I think you're going to be able to to sell this. Oh, by the way, this is kind of lost in the shuffle. This whole deal, and I don't know how this is going to play out. But if you go and hire a good offensive mind, you've got three former four star quarterbacks to, to to work with on that roster that includes to carry and joiner of course but you're you're working with a, a situation if you are taking that job where you're like hey you know what this isn't the worst thing in the world it's a more favorable division to be able to rebuild in and i i kind of think that that one of those three guys is going to look at that and say you know what this actually kind of makes sense for this point in my career this comes down to timing with so many of these things yeah, so I, I'm gonna completely disagree with you on on the uh, the talent standpoint because um, I've brought this this setup like over and over and over again. Um, like a couple years ago, I think 
South Carolina signed like the top six players in the state, just clean sweep of the state. And one of them was a five-star. It was the year that uh, Zach Pickens was, was the lone five-star of the state. They had a combined six, four, and five-star players in the state as a whole. Uh, looking at just this year, they only have two four-stars in the entire state. The rest are all three-stars or below. Uh, last year, they had a total of five, four, and five-stars as well. So there's not a lot of talent in the state, but I don't think if you have a guy like Hugh Freeze, you're going to need it. The point you brought up about it being a good job because it, like, it, it's a, like a desirable job, I agree and disagree. I, I definitely agree with the fact that like we probably aren't going to see a lot of firings this year. A lot of like there won't be that many, you know, openings like that. So some of these guys like Sarkeesian and Hugh Freeze, if they want to move, now's the time. I said this on Twitter and it got a terrible reaction from South Carolina fans. But it, like from a managing your expectations standpoint, I, I wonder what like they are definitely going to get on board with a new guy, especially if it's it's if it's different from like a you know just a ideology and being an offensive minded team and, and coach whatever. I I just wonder like what the actual expectations are going to be and where South Carolina fans are going to set the bar because these are some of the best fans in the country, and and like again they went zero and eleven one season and sold out every damn game. I mean think about that like that, that's good. it says a lot about a fan base. Those fans are passionate. They they are there. Like every single year, no matter what the offseason entailed or the year before. That being said, I wonder if they view their program as South Carolina as a whole. When you look at it, where they've had four total 10 win seasons in 113 years, I got a lot of flag for that. So, how about this? Not like, like they only had seven total nine win seasons in 113 years. Not exactly great. To put that in comparison, Arkansas has had 12 10 win seasons over the, over the same time. So, right. I I wonder if they view their um, their program like in what my opinion would be like a realistic standpoint with those numbers, or if they just view it as, hey, we had three straight years of eleven plus wins with Spurrier, that's where we should be. The bar I think for how it stacks up against rivals, this isn't an exact comp, so don't I don't want you to get get caught up in this. I'm not I'm not saying that this is exactly like this, but if you're taking over at South Carolina and you beat Clemson once, yeah. It's kind of seen as a big notch on the belt, un, you know, not, not necessarily different than what we saw with Gus Melzahn beating Alabama and how that was yeah. such a big thing for him to be able to get a contract extension and what that did for him to be able to be like, hey, I'm the guy who's beat Saban multiple times. Give me that new deal. Dude. And obviously, like, that stuff matters. And if you're, if you're at South Carolina and you have that confidence and you come in and you do something like that, again – easier said than done the bar has been set so low based on how much they have lost and gotten smoked by Clemson that all of a sudden it kind of changes the conversation and you think to yourself what do I have to do to get that second deal to get that second extension when you know that's that's I think what these coaches really are after I mean yeah you don't have to do much nowadays to get an extension as we've seen all over the place but I, I will say I think when you say the Clemson game specifically that makes sense because we saw Will Muschamp beat the number three team in the country last year on the road uh, at UGA, and we saw how much that really mattered at all to the fans because um, they got so tired of him. But it, I think it's a perfect example, like talking about the Gus Malzahn thing. And, and I mean, think think about these two team, this team, and Hugh Freeze as a coach, like just in general. What's the one thing you've heard about Hugh Freeze over and over and over again this week? He beat Alabama. He beat Alabama. What, what's the one? What's the one game South Carolina fans are, have, have, or what they will bring up constantly, or like they, they are known for over the past decade, beating Alabama ten years ago? I, I think, like that kind of benchmark or the, that kind of that kind of game will, will will stick around for people like for a long time. Um, if he was able to knock off Clemson, 
Yeah, that that would matter, I think, more than any other game he could possibly win the SEC. Yeah. Um, going to be interesting to see how that search unfolds. I'm sure we'll be talking about this a lot more. Cocho. We've had our fun with Cocho on this podcast, but I'd be remiss if I didn't bring this up. For those who um, didn't see, I, I recommend that everybody reads the story, regardless of what team you root for, uh, how you feel about Cocho. Read the USA Today story that outlined um, how seven of nine players who were under Cocho uh, were accused of sexual crimes but not punished. Darius Geis was twice accused of rape. He was never suspended. Jacob Phillips, accused of rape, never suspended. Grant Delpit, accused of filming a girl during sex and sharing it without consent, never suspended. The issue here is not necessarily what happened in the courts. That's right. not necessarily a head coach's job, and not, this isn't why he's, he's facing fire. He's being scrutinized here for the lack of Title IX protocol that was, followed, that was followed. Title IX protocol, for those who don't know, is put in place so that coaches or higher-ups who find out about these, these incidences, as you know, players are often going to confide in their head coaches yeah. or, or academic advisors, whoever it is, it's built so that the accusers in these situations are not overpowered by universities that have tens of thousands of students, football programs that bring in tens and millions of mil- tens of millions of dollars. And so you see here issues like the Drake Davis situation. That is the most egregious one. That was the toughest one to sit there. And if you're going to defend Coach O, this is a really, really tough look for you in that, oh. hey, he's totally innocent type of deal. So, and you, you kind of went over it again, but like, let's, like, just to recap real quick, nine total, like, different, nine different, like, accounts, basically, right? Like, not- sexual, sexual crimes that they were accused of. Right, exactly. So, we're not here to argue whether it happened or not or anything like that. Like, that's not the basis of the argument. I, Personally, I think that we should believe women until there's something that proves otherwise. But that aside, I, I think when you look at the fact there's nine of them and, and seven of them face no discipline, four of those nine were rape, which is like about as serious as you can get like for, for a sexual crime, correct? Four, yeah, four accusations of rape and not a single person was suspended. So the numbers are kind of alarming, but the Drake Davis thing, because I understand we live in a society where there there are things where you you're innocent until proven guilty, and that you want to believe that these kids are, are you know are doing the right things, all that kind of stuff. The Drake Davis thing, there's absolutely no way from what we've read to defend it, and that's the problem. So if you don't know the details of this, former LSU receiver, highly touted guy, repeatedly accused of dating violence against his girlfriend. His roommate um, said that LSU receivers coach Mickey Joseph, who is still on Coach O's staff, would call their place and he'd be like, you know, hey, is, is, she, the girlfriend, text is, she, is she there? Yeah, yeah. So Davis confessed his dating violence to LSU's deputy athletic director in April. And again, this isn't just a Coach O thing. This is, this is LSU, you know, the administration that's, right. that's a, been a part of this, and that's, that's yeah. the issue and why this was brought up. The only punishment that Drake Davis faced was being banned from the weight room that summer. Um, the only until the girl finally proved she she gave police uh, pictures, text messages of the proof and all that. But she but he had been accused of this, and it had been reported, just not necessarily in the same fashion. And it was only then that Coach O suspends him indefinitely. And he's asked, he's even asked, like when that decision came. You know, did you know about this beforehand? And he declined to answer the question. Like, that's the stuff that you're just like, oh, my gosh. So, like, this is – that's not good. I, I will – like, I mean, obviously, like we just said, like, rape obviously is is, is awful and, and, like, a horrific, horrific thing. And I'm not trying to, you know, 
like it's like dismiss any of that but by any means but we talked about on this podcast before and and like i it's not something to get like uncomfortable about but like I, I grew up around uh, around domestic violence. There's nothing worse and more cowardly and awful and and like as a, as a man to do that to a woman. There's nothing there's nothing worse to me I think in the world. Like as as like the fact that like a, a man d- would do that to another woman, especially somebody that's like they're in love with, that is such a horrible horrible cycle of abuse that people get into. This is what I have having a hard time getting past with the Coach O stuff because you you brought it up here, but like to get a little bit more in depth with it, basically. He, he, they, everyone around him knew that he had been like habitually beating his girlfriend, his roommates, coaches that like, so they, they basically assigned a coach to check in on him. He was doing it via text message, which as most of you know, with like forms of communication, not really a less personable and, and like hands off way to go about that. He could have written an email, I guess, but like other than that, not a very personable way to, to make sure you're checking in on for like doing the right thing. Then his only punishment was he was banned from the, the weight room in the summer, which you should have locked his ass in there and kept him as far away from her as possible. And then the day fall camp started, he was reinstated. The The first exactly. day of fall camp, he was, rein, he was reinstated. And he, it wasn't until he was arrested by the cops that he was finally suspended. I mean, think about that. Like, he was, he was reinstated the first day of practice when they knew all this was happening. And it wasn't until he was arrested by the effing police because they found out they had proof that he had, he threatened to kill her that he was finally suspended. That, I mean, that that is just so damning and hard to get over. I don't necessarily like throwing this around because it can be too heat of the moment, but in something that, that, that is this serious, um, this is the type of thing where if you read this, I, I don't know how it doesn't change your view of Coach O. Eh, yeah. I really don't. And, yeah. I, and I hate that. I hate the fact that it even crossed my mind. How would we be talking about Coach O a couple days after this comes out if he was coaching a four-win team and not coming off the best season in college football right. history? And I hate that that even factors into my, my mindset. But And that's part of the problem in itself with this and why – you know this why this was brought to light and people are if there's anybody questioning the timing apparently this was because um, after the USA Today had the story about uh, Darius Geis um, being accused of rape in August another um, accuser saw that and was like this is this is what I went through with him yeah. and I was accused this is you know I have the text messages to prove it if you read the story all the text messages are, are in there this isn't just you know random random hearsay and there's police reports and all this stuff that that goes with it and it just kind of makes you think like man this is I hate to say it, like this is abuse of power. And the frustrating thing is, is that you know there was a, a Temple advisor here that was quoted in the story saying, like, who studied sexual assault on on yeah. campuses and as as it relates to big time athletic departments. And she's like, you know, there are patterns of behavior here that are similar to what we saw at Baylor, Michigan State, and Penn State. And that's you know, and, and I read this story in early 2000s. Washington with Rick Neuheisel came to mind. I've mentioned yeah. it before. If you've ever read Scoreboard Baby, it's very similar stuff in terms of reporting sexual assault. And that's that's the issue that we come back to. So while we like to have fun and you know we do the Coach O accent and stuff like that, like we can't just bypass stuff like this and we can't just pretend like okay this is just a one off. This is just some random story. If this stuff doesn't change, and hopefully it will, and hopefully Coach O is going to be under more scrutiny. And you saw like you know Peter Parrish was you know suspended indefinitely after he was accused of rape and he right. then transferred to Memphis. You would hope that if this isn't the kick in the pants and if this isn't a humbling moment for Coach O, then LSU would take the proper action afterwards. Yeah, and, you know, like, we're not trying to get, like, on a soapbox to be preachy or any of those those kind of things. And, and I, 
in no way am I trying to make a, a complete character assessment or attack on on Coach O from this one incident. Um, because I mean, listen, like it, I, I'm not excusing any of it at all. Um, but I will say it's like, I mean, Coach O wasn't the one that did this. However, the the issue at hand is the fact that like, you know. We've seen it time and time again, and, and and I think the the easiest thing to do on the outside looking in is, is say like what they should have done, and, and I and I, you know, I think we probably are in agreement, you know, agreement of like, especially with the domestic violence thing, like that that should have been stopped day one. That that shit is not okay. Um, but I will say, we've seen this at Penn State, and I'm not comparing those two incidents, but this very uncomfortable. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know who to go to. I don't like. What what is the proper procedure of, of dealing with this? And, and I don't want to say right off the bat that Coach o didn't say anything because it was an abuse of power. He didn't want to, you know, he he didn't want to like sacrifice wins and they were in the middle of the season. I, I don't want to say that because I don't know that to be true. I will say the biggest failure here is that you're you're leading young men and and in, in, in like the most vulnerable and and important time of their lives. And and like when you are you're the one that's in charge of taking these kids from their parents and then and helping them become men. And this is such a huge letdown, I think, to them personally, as well as everyone else around the program to see like this, you have to be better. You just flat out have to be better. Yeah. And the problem is, you know, if, if the, if for those defending coach, O saying, well, you know, like, what do you expect them to do in that situation? Like, is he just supposed to suspend them? I'm like, well, yeah. And if you're prioritizing, if you're saying, well, I don't want to ruin a kid's life if we don't let due process play out, okay, so then you're also siding on their side and their NFL draft future and what they can make in terms of, of money instead of, like, just being able to say, hey, violation of team rules, which every single right. college football coach has suspended a player for a violation of team rules. And you could say, hey, we need to be able to dig in more. We need to get more out of this Title IX investigation and then move forward from there. So that's that's the issue I, that Coach was facing. And the other thing I want to say, too, is I heard this one example somebody brought up about how we see this all the time, um, like domestic violence part, like, like Mullen excused it with Jeffrey Simmons. There's a little bit of a difference. And, again, like it, like being familiar with the, with that kind of situation – there's a difference between this guy got into a like one-off argument with somebody about like some family stuff and hit somebody versus he is habitually doing this. We have we know he's doing it over and over and over again and we're not doing anything to help stop it. That's that's the worst part for me. Yeah. On a different note, want to do some picks, some over/unders? Nah, I'm kind of done for the day. Now let's do it. We'll go through these games pretty quickly. This is going to be a long pod either way. And let's be honest, like, I'm not going to complain about the slate because as of right now, the slate's Wednesday great. at 4 p.m., it's great because we have six games. No, the slate in general, games. what are you talking about? They're like, the, all day the slate is good. For, like, not just SEC um, games, for, like, for national as well. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Let's start with Florida and Vandy because uh, this game is, uh, wow, just really, really lopsided. Florida's a 31.5-point favorite against Vandy. I guess minus 31. You guess minus 37.5, nice. which, yeah, man, that would have been something. I I think this is the largest spread of the year in the SEC, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? Correct me if I'm wrong on that. I think it is. Wow. I, I think it should be the most lopsided game in the SEC. Vandy's not playing Bama, of course, so you can't make that direct comparison. But, yeah, I, I think this has potential to be the most lopsided uh, lopsided game, I, I, even though I do think Ken Seals should actually have some success against mm-hmm. the Florida defense, which has not been perfect. But interesting question. Do you think Florida gets into some number chasing with Kyle Trask 
Yes. Or do you think we end up seeing a good amount of Emory Jones still in this game? Because I, I think both can actually be true. Uh, yes, is the answer to the Kyle Trask thing. <laughs> like, I just, it's just if we, if we haven't already proven that already this season, I'm not even going to get into the Heisman talk because I cannot believe how much people uh, just the like. I, we came up with those graphics this week comparing Kyle Trask's numbers to the last three Heisman Trophy winners, and then also his numbers against Mac Jones. It's just amazing to me what people could actually see with those numbers. Um, and we can't just look at them both and be like, hey, both are having really, really good seasons. This is fun to watch, huh? Um, yeah. I, I think, yeah, like we saw it last year with Joe Burrow. I think by all means, if he's if he has the ability to do it, we will see Mullen try to chase some numbers here. And, and Kyle Trask is just, I mean, like, he's on a ridiculous pace. I mean, he, he already has more touchdown passes than he had all of last season, right? Yeah, this is true. And with the way that Florida's defense is playing, you can kind of justify it. You know, you yeah. can kind of say, hey, you know, if it's 35 to 14 at halftime, hey, we got to be able to bring them out in the second half. You got to, you know, right. have those first two possessions where you're still throwing the ball and getting your team a comfortable cushion. I'm taking Florida to cover. I think that that's the type of spread that they dare you to take Vandy in the points. Yeah. But why, why would I do that? Because even if this game is, you know, like this game could end up being something like a 55 to, to 21 which isn't yeah. that crazy? Florida's still covering that, so I'm, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take the Gators and the Red Hot offense right now. I would completely agree. I also uh, I don't know the over is pretty pretty high. The over oh by the way my over under for this Kyle Trask touchdown passes four and a half is the over under over. So over. he's gonna hit five. Yes, without right. doubt in the first right. half. LSU Arkansas, man, this spread. So what is it at currently? So I just looked this up. Uh, shout out to our friends over at FanDuel. Go check out all your spreads, all your gambling needs on there. Um, LSU is a two-and-a-half-point favorite as of Wednesday at 4 o'clock. This spread has been all over back. the place. Didn't it go from LSU being favorite to Arkansas and now back? I, I believe so. Like, this this is yo-yoed like crazy. And it probably will if we find out that maybe more LSU players are, are active for this one. Speaking of the spread, oh, by the way, I guessed LSU minus two. You guessed LSU minus four and a half. I don't even really know how to consider that, <laughs> that because I feel like two, I was man. wrong. I don't know. I feel like I was kind of wrong on that because Arkansas came out um, being being favored for a bit. The mentions of last year's 42-point spread, I set the over-under at two. Yeah, I think – I mean, I'll say under because I feel like they're only bringing it up once at the beginning of the broadcast, but they, it'll be the first thing they bring up. You have to, right? Yeah. I mean, this is, I think I saw something like this is the largest swing in terms of year to year point spread yeah. in FBS history or something like that. I mean, as of right now, well, with with LSU being being favored now by two and a half points, maybe that's still not the case. But when Arkansas was like a two point favorite, I mean, it's a 44 point it's, swing that we're I talking mean, about. That doesn't like happen in college football. Kylie Jenner made less changes. Than, than LSU has from, from this year to last. I mean, and, and not in the same positive way at all. I see what you did there. It's, it is amazing to think about what a difference makes. Um, you know, it's amazing that LSU has three losses right now without the Florida or Alabama game <laughs> um, having already happened, which, by the way, those could impact the Heisman race yeah. um, as we talk about Mac Jones and Kyle Trask. Traylon Burks, Derek Stingley could have been fun. But I'm not like I'm not there yet with Derek Stingley this year to think yeah. that's some lockdown matchup. Part of that's on him. Part of that's because he's playing in both Pelini's defense. But Traylon Burks, I look at that and I say this dude should be able to go off. LSU is easily one of the worst passing defenses in the country. That's been well documented. Too bad that they're not going to get Davion Warren for this game. He is out for the year. 
Man, I tend to think Barry Odom, he got Kevin Steele's blueprint on a hot-to-stop TJ Finley. He's yeah. going to be starting in this game. That, that seems pretty dangerous. And I was going to take Arkansas when Arkansas was a one-and-a-half-point favorite. So with LSU as a two-and-a-half-point favorite, yeah, um, I'm taking the Hogs even though they finally didn't cover last week. All right, I hate to even do this, but I just – at some point, they have to rally the troops, right? Like, at some point, they have to at least look like just somewhat uh, resembling last year's team. I'm going to take LSU to cover. I think Vegas knows something, or maybe they don't. They're just as indecisive as I am, as we've seen from the, the <laughs> swing. Um, I'm going to take LSU to cover. And, and the main reason why is, as I bitched about on, on Sunday, we found out last week that at no point last week was LSU even practicing and preparing for Alabama. They were preparing for Arkansas from, like, Monday on. Oh, interesting. Makes you think. Makes you think. Um, okay, so, gosh, don't don't take our word for that spread. Go go with a, a spread that comes out on Saturday morning. Uncle Chris is going to have all your gambling information yeah, on, on Saturday morning as well. So do, do not take our word for that. Kentucky, Alabama. Another big, big spread. Big 30 point spread in the SEC this week. Alabama is a 30 and a half point favorite. Last I saw, I guessed Alabama minus 27. You also guessed Alabama minus 27. Man, that is a big, big number. The word rust on the broadcast (laughs) over under, over under 1.5 times that is said. I'm going to say under because in in the the year and a half or two that I've known Tom Hart, I've never heard him use that word. Oh, Tom's going to be on the call on this. Yeah. That's right. Good they're not going to be oh, at okay. the actual game, but they're going to be they're going to be doing the call. So that um, I'm going to say under, but it definitely should be over because I, I think that you know, God, it's been it's been two damn weeks, man. It's been so I feel long. like a trucker's so... wife just sitting here waiting at home for my <laughs> my sweet Mac Jones and, and family to get back on on the 18 wheelers on the road. Speaking of that. Kyle Trask, after he came off that long break where he had two Saturdays in which he wasn't playing football, best three-game stretch of his career. My question, do we see something similar with Mac Jones? Because I absolutely still think that he has a Heisman path. Former Kentucky commit, by the way. People forget that. What do you mean? Crazy. He had a path. Yeah, of course. Right, but, but here's what I mean by that. Kentucky right now is the only defense left, and that includes a potential matchup against Florida that Mac Jones would face, who ranks in the top half of the country against the pass. That sets up well for some big, big numbers. I don't think Kentucky, by any stretch of the imagination, is an elite pass defense. I I think Mac Jones puts up, if he puts up big numbers down the stretch, he's going to get that SEC championship, and he's going to get that side-by-side with Kyle Trask. Here's the interesting little nugget that I found in the last couple days that I think is worth remembering if we're going to talk about Mac Jones versus Kyle Trask in the Heisman race. I realize that all that of his numbers Lawrence, are better than Justin Trask Fields. except for touchdowns? Not, not that. Not that. A historical number. The last time that a Heisman winner lost in a conference championship, Jason White in 2003. Oh, wow. He didn't, however, face a Heisman candidate quarterback in that game. He faced Kansas State. Kansas State had Darren Sproles. Darren Sproles still finished in the top five of the Heisman. The only time in the last 40 years that a Heisman winner missed a game against a Power 5 team, Charlie Ward in 1993, he missed a game against Maryland. That favors the Mac Jones-Kyle Trask argument as well, as opposed to Trevor Lawrence missing two games, Justin Fields seemingly being, you know, taking games away left and right. This is more times than not 
a cumulative award if there are things that are relatively mm-hmm. equal. It, it, that's, I'm not saying that's right. Yeah. I'm saying that's what it ultimately ends up being. I, yes and no, because as we talked about the Kyler Murray thing, it, it, that was – I mean, Tua had six total touchdowns against Auburn the week before the SEC championship game. It, like he had been leading the entire season, and then had six well, touchdowns my, against Auburn, and then and then you're making my point. Game. So I, exactly I mean, the Heisman thing. I, I said last week, and I had no idea how people <clears throat> overreacted this much to this because I don't think it was even that much of a hot take or debatable. Kyle Trash should be leading the Heisman, and guess what, guys? He yes. is. He's the front yeah. runner for the Heisman right now, and and like. That's not me saying that Kyle Trask is better than Mac Jones. Like those are two separate things. We can enjoy and appreciate both of their seasons. What Mac Jones? Like I said it on Sunday, the, and you've brought it up several times. Kyle Trask's numbers are unlike anything we've seen over the past several years, including Joe Burrow. It, like I mean, it's it's unreal. And if you don't believe me, do yourself. It's worth a Google or go on SCS on, <laughs> on Instagram and look at the graphic I, I spent hours making for you guys. The thing with Mac Jones is. Like, his numbers are better than Kyle Trask in in almost every category, just not touchdowns. And, and I think that when you look at, like, the Heisman voters, there's no Heisman voter. Like, Bama fans all week have, say, have made every excuse in the, in the book about, well, it's because Najee Harris has 14 touchdowns and Florida only has five total rushing touchdowns as a team, and he's taken away from touchdowns from Mac. Like, yeah, all that's real. All that's true. It doesn't mean – when is the last time you've heard a Heisman Trophy winner announced and saying, listen, here's the winner because – he didn't have as many touchdowns, but only because this this running back he had was also really good. They're, that's not how people vote on the Heisman. They vote on like, you know, whatever the sexiest pick is, whatever like the biggest numbers are, and, and Kyle Trask has those right now. Mac Jones does, however, have 12.4 yards per attempt, which if he holds that would be an FBS record. He would break Kyler Murray's record that he set in 2018 when he had 11.6 yards per attempt in that season when he won the Heisman. I'm taking Alabama to win this game and yep. cover. I, I think that Kentucky's defense has shown some vulnerable, some, some very vulnerable issues that I just can't necessarily get past. I am not counting on Steve Sarkeesian's offense to be slowed down in this game. I think Bama wins big, covers 30 and a half with relative ease. I don't, I just don't know how Kentucky scores. Um, That's the problem. And, yeah. and I like, I'm not just saying that. As like a Bama fan, I just I don't see how they score in the game. They might have some success running the ball because some teams have against Bama this year, but I, it, like it's thirty points, so Bama's going to get forty, right? Most Easy. likely, yeah. I Easy. mean, they how many how many straight games have they scored thirty five points or more since the start of the twenty nineteen season? So I, they're going to get at least thirty five. Is Kentucky going to score seven? I don't know. Chris Rodriguez long touchdown run, and that's maybe it. Yeah, yeah. possibly. Mississippi State, Georgia. Georgia is a 24-and-a-half-point favorite. I guess UGA minus 20. You guess UGA minus 24-and-a-half. We're three for three. You nailed it. Unbelievable. When I listen back to that and I put this in the notes, I'm like, dang, (laughs) 24-and-a-half. That's spot on. The over-under I have, JT Daniels snaps taken. Set the over-under at a very simple .5. It better be over, Connor, or I'm going to lose my (laughs) GD mind. I like that Georgia is doing. God, I just I'm so tired of wanting to believe in in like there's going to be a change because and they're doing everything to reel me back in. Like Georgia is like the quintessential X right now. It's like listen, I listen. Things are different now. Trust me, like things are going to be different. I've changed. We brought back the black jerseys. We're gonna have so much fun this weekend. Things better have changed. I'm, I'm talking to you, Kirby. 
Stetson Bennett uh, has been working through a shoulder injury. If there are Georgia fans that are hoping he does not play, I'd say that tends to suggest that it will not be him out there. Daniels, Dewan Mathis, Carson Beck all have been getting more reps in practice. Kirby said that Carson Beck's been a little bit slower because of the lack of reps available when you decide on a quarterback and you want to be able to give them as much with the ones as humanly possible. Not always easy with a true freshman. They're worried about JC Daniels' mobility. I think at this point, man, if you're still worried about that, Compared to what you've seen the last few weeks, I don't think that's a good enough excuse. Yeah, if, you're, if our quarterback can't run the zone read and the RPO, the, the, the entire success of the offense is dependent on it. Something, something amazing to think about here. UGA on Saturday will end a streak of 45 consecutive games played as a top 10 team. That streak goes all the way back to 2017. That was UGA dominating Mississippi State, Dan Mullen, ironically yep. enough, and then getting into the top 10. Clemson is the only other team who remained in the top 10 during that streak the entire time. Even Alabama, even Ohio State has played a game outside of the top 10. So it's been four years, of course, since Georgia has played a regular season game without division title hopes. I still think that UGA keeps this MSU offense at bay, which obviously that's not saying much of anything, even though Will Rogers might stand more of a chance than KJ Costello. I can't bank on the UGA offense lighting up Mississippi State. I just can't without That's knowing true. what it looks like at this point. And the Mississippi State defense is still pretty good. Errol Thompson, those guys are still playing really hard. Yeah. So I'm going to I'm gonna begrudgingly take Mississippi State's cover 24 and a half, though I think Georgia wins this game. I just, every week I get back to the same point where I'm like, I just want to believe. I just want to believe yeah, so much. But this, this just sets up to be like every single thing, like every letdown that we've had kind of with Georgia this season. Um, and from a covering standpoint, I think they definitely win. A really good opportunity here. Really good opportunity here. And, and I'm going to say it first kind of like in a joking way. But I, 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 honestly, this is a very good opportunity for Kirby Smart and Georgia. The bar could not be set lower. Uh, uh, just across the field, looking at the other sideline, the bar could not be set lower for quarterback play and ineptitude on offense. It just can't. And, and so you can only look so bad when you're going up against yeah. Mississippi State's quarterbacks. Just... Go with JT Daniel. Do something different. Show that you've, you've made some commitment to change after the loss to Florida. And and see how it goes, at least for the first half. And, and I think what I'm interested in most is how does that defense look after getting a little bit healthier and also yeah. um, the, the loss to Florida. I, I think that Georgia wins. I think Georgia wins big. Okay. Mizzou, South Carolina. Man, what an interesting spread. Um, <laughs> it's kind of all over the place. So I just, I just checked this. Mizzou is currently a six-and-a-half-point favorite. Yeah. That line has moved significantly as we have found out about these opt-outs. I guess South Carolina minus one-and-a-half. You guess South Carolina minus five. I'll give you the win on that. I'll say that's kind of void in a way, though, because yeah, this, this line has moved so much. Um, the over-under that I have is the name Muschamp is said on the broadcast. I set the over-under at 12. Oh, over, yeah, for sure. For sure. I, You know what I hope happens? I hope that, like, I don't want to see Chill Must Champ. I, I want to see like, <laughs> like, like Sting, late '90s, like WWF and 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 like WCW, like wrestler, like Must Champ. Like I either want to see him in a trench coat with face paint and like a baseball bat, at, like in, the, in like the rafters, um, or I want to see him just like just like burst in and then all the broadcast, like, "What's up, brother?" And oh god, that'd be fantastic. 
glass shatters the whole stadium. Yeah. It's just like, what? What? The world's going on right now. Listen All up, mother. <laughs> <laughs> I hope they still run the, the pump-up video, too, that they had on, on the internet. It was just like, get the out of your seats. Awesome. They better. They better. Um, Mike Bobo, the interim coach. Uh, South Carolina fans, I think that means you're going to see a whole lot more Colin Hill. Um, good luck with that. That spread is is telling, really telling. Um, year one coach, two and three team. Yeah, on the hasn't road. Hasn't even been close on the road yet. Ha- has not been close. And Mizzou reportedly has been dealing with COVID cases as well. And they're still like a touchdown favorite in this game. Now, obviously, when you don't have J.C. Horn, feels significant. When you're losing these defensive pieces. And I can't say it. Yeah, Israel. Yeah. Um, interim coaches mid-season in the SEC. Not great outside of Coach O. Not great. Yes, yeah, true. Um, You'd be surprised. Uh, n- not really, though. Randy Shannon at Florida, 1-3. and three. Brady Hoke, Tennessee, 0-2. Barry Lunny at Arkansas, 0-2. Our guy Sean Elliott, South Carolina, 1-5. Right. That's 2-10 and 10 for non-Coach O interim coaches in a mid-season takeover like Tough that. To not do. just talking about like a bowl game. Not an easy thing to do. It's just not. Give me Mizzou to win big. Real Whoa, big. Whoa, big. Uh, Eli... Eli Drinkowitz wins in Columbia for the second consecutive year, if you recall, last year with Appalachian State. Oh, yeah. Went into South Carolina and handed Will Muschamp one of his worst losses, no doubt about it. That still stings for South Carolina fans. Yeah, I think all that time for Eli Drinkowitz to be able to dial stuff up. I think Mizzou wins big against the South Carolina team that's going to be kind of all over the place. I don't I, Big seems like a lot um, for sure. I, I will say I think that Mizzou wins strictly because I don't trust – Mike Bobo to be like a rally of the troops kind of guy at all. Uh, he, he honestly seems way more like like a year version of, of like bad news bears. Like, listen, we got one player and we're going to ride him, but it, somehow he chose like not the best player. It's like, we got Colin and the rest of you better fall in line because he's going to take us on his back to this win. Um, I think Mizzou wins. I mean, yeah, just like with, with the possibly – the best cornerback and defensive back tandem in, in the conference, maybe country, being out midweek, like just announcing, like, hey, by the way, we're, we're out. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not going to judge them for that decision at all. Like, they made a business decision for their future, and I don't think anyone should, should judge them on that. Here's the only thing that I find interesting about this game necessarily, and I wanted to hear your take on this. We talked about this on Sunday about how Kevin Harris is not getting enough love, right? Have you seen the side-by-side comparison of him – and Travis Etienne. I haven't, no. He has four more touchdowns. He has, I think, like, I, I can't find it now on Twitter, damn it. Um, he has more yards, more yards per carry, more touchdowns, all of that, than Travis Etienne. By like a, Travis Etienne's a had, like, amount. two bad games this year. He's had, like, a couple of bad games where he has not looked fully like himself, even though I think he's certainly one of the best backs in the country, and I'd yeah. be hard-pressed to take many backs over him. Yeah, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. So I, I, I wonder how much they're going to ride him and how much Bobo is just going to stick to his terrible script of Colin Colin Hill. I, this could be like a shy Smith flex game, I guess, or he'll quit at halftime. I, I wouldn't blame him. Yikes. Tennessee, Auburn. Ugh. Auburn Auburn is a 10.5-point favorite in the game of which team does Marler dislike I, more? This was the worst SEC championship game of my entire life in 97. <laughs> I guessed Auburn minus 11.5. You guessed Auburn minus 16.5. So you I, killed within it. Within a point on that. No. Within a point on that one. 
The over-under I have. Tennessee's second half points. I set the over-under at seven. Why did I set it at seven, you ask? Because the Vols have seven second half points in the last four games. Total? Can I repeat that? Can I repeat that? Yeah. They have seven second half points in the last four games. That's bad, How is that possible? That's bad. Oh, my gosh. I have no idea how that happens, how you don't get at least that one random kickoff return for a touchdown or, you know, scoop and score or something. That is a lot of football to only score seven points. Think about how many points they've scored for the other teams with Jerry Garantano. Good point. Good point. Will Jeremy Pruitt play Harrison Bailey against Kevin Steele's defense? Last we saw Kevin Steele's defense, he devoured a true freshman quarterback. Uh, Maybe it's a little bit different when you say we're going to force Tennessee to run the ball against, you know, as opposed to LSU because I think Tennessee, that's what they want to do. Eric Gray had 31 carries in that game against Arkansas. This is going to test the belief that we've seen from Jeremy Pruitt or at least what was – said on that broadcast with our good buddies, Tom Hart and Cole Kubelik, Jordan Rogers, about Harrison Bailey throwing him into the fire. Yeah. Because this would be throwing him into the fire. And if Jeremy Pruitt does it, then, you know, th- those words were just coach speak. But at the same time, I kind of see – I think at this point you have to roll him out there and see what you have. What What's the show with that John Taft or whatever his name is, like the big Italian guy that's always yelling at people? About- T- John Taffer, Bar Rescue. Yeah, okay. So you ever seen like an episode of Bar Rescue where, like – they go to some like mom and pop type place and, and, and like everything's in disarray. Everything's awful. Like everything's flat it's out. Every awful, episode, right? yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so and then like they like they try to get you know, through to everybody and then they're like, All right, fine, like, you know, you're gonna lose all your money if you don't get your shit together or whatever. Um, that's like the you know, the base of the whole entire series. But they have like the little break and then they have like the big reveal and they do like their test night, right? The like the fat overweight like line cook that always screws up even after they had like the come to Jesus meeting. That's what this. That's what like Jeremy Pruitt reminds me of. Is like yeah we know it's we've had a couple weeks off to prepare, but if things really change, do you even know what goes in the jalapeno burger? Probably not, Jeremy. Like like what are we doing here? He needs bar rescue. He needs John. It's just a burger with jalapenos, Jeremy. That's it. You can do this. You can do this. Jeremy, wash your hands after you're wash using your that hands. uncooked meat. Jesus. Come on, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so many Sundays in college spent hungover watching Bar Rescue. Yeah, true. So, so many. Um, so, if Auburn pulls off an LSU-like performance where it's just dominant, it's yeah. one-sided, Auburn's looking good, how worried do you, Chris Marler? A lot. <laughs> As a Bama fan, how worried do you become that Auburn has turned the corner if that's what happens in this game? Somebody told me this a while ago, like that Auburn always does this. It's like they always start out slow and, you know, they get better as the season goes on. And I think I was very quick to respond like, well, they, they opened up with a win against Oregon last year. So I don't, I don't know about that. But this yeah. is – I said this after the, the game against, like, I guess Ole Miss. I know I said after Kentucky. But like, this whole season just has – especially because 2020 is the worst. It just has this feel of, like – man, they should have lost several games. Like, already should have lost several games, but they didn't. And they're still here, and we're going to wake up in late November, or I guess December, and they're going to somehow be like 7-2 and two going into the Bama game and just right for an upset. So, yeah, very worried. I can't pick Tennessee to stop the bleeding. I just can't. I, I like Auburn, even without K.J. Britt still. They're getting healthier on D by getting Jamin Sherwood back. That guy makes some hits. That guy... Is one of the, looks like one of the the biggest hitters in the SEC. He's quickly developed into that. But yeah, I, I'm taking Auburn. I, I'm not I'm not predicting Tennessee to all of a sudden have 
have a, a miraculous win when we we've seen Tennessee coming off of bye week we haven't seen these adjustments made and right now I, I think a program that's sitting where they're sitting it's really tough to all of a sudden get everything started up again when you don't necessarily have all of that to play for yeah it, I know this this didn't end up being true I think in the uh, Arkansas game obviously but I remember like the there was some stat that was brought up right before that game that was like you know they were like at least 5-0, and oh, I want to say, in their last five games at Jordan-Hare against the spread, and also, like, in their last five games as a double-digit favorite. So, Gus Malzahn, with extra time to prepare against just an inferior team, top to bottom, I think they'll be fine. Yeah. All right. Lock of the week. Man, you thought it was going to die. You thought it was going to die. No one thought that. You did. Well, actually, a certain person thought it was going to die. Daniel Batson. Tweeted at me. Oh, it's God. like late on Saturday night. Uh, Oregon falls behind early. I put all this faith in Joe Moorhead. You know, I said they're going to cover 10.5 against Washington State. He's like, took Oregon minus 10.5 at CJ O'Gara's recommendation. Took FSU money line because I wanted to make money. I think I'll go to bed. I tweeted at him. Plenty of time left. What happened? Oh, Joe Moorhead, Oregon, covered. No big deal. As I said, they would. Joe Moorhead Offense got rolling late. Unbelievable. Joe Moorhead doesn't let me down. He doesn't, um, except that one time where he got fired from Mississippi State. Yes. But other than that, he doesn't let me down. Oregon was easy. That was money in the bank. Lock of the week is still undefeated. I'm going to a place that I have not often gone, but a place that I am very, very familiar with. I'm going to Nebraska. Oh, Jesus. And I'm, go- I'm going to a Nebraska program that, again, I-, I realize everybody just wants to crown Nebraska the second they do anything good. Crown their ass. <laughs> They're who we thought they were. Then we let them off the hook. Nebraska's a 14-and-a-half-point favorite against Illinois. I know. It's got the hook in there. You don't like the hook. The hook is bad. Yeah. You know who's bad? Illinois is bad. Yes, Illinois is terrible. Lovey Smith's program right now can't stop a thing. I don't know if you heard. Nebraska's starting a McCaffrey. They're starting They're starting Luke McCaffrey, quarterback. That, yeah, yeah, that's re- related to Christian and Dylan. Um, and they make that reference, like, pretty much within every 30 Maybe seconds that he's on the field. It's real Panther, so you know it's good. <laughs> what a reference. <laughs> yeah. I am taking Nebraska to cover 14 and a half against an Illinois team that is just absolutely dreadful. I think Nebraska's finally found a little bit of an offensive identity, and their defense quietly has been all right this year. So, yes, give me Nebraska to cover. I know that's a lot, but still, 14 and a half feels like easy money. All right, very early, very early. My lock of the week, I actually did go through this last night. When I was going to take Wake Forest money liner at Duke, and that game is now postponed. Of course. Of course. Um, Listen, I haven't done this all year because I've been I've been cheering for you because one I know you don't have any money on the line um, and two I'm a good person. Are and you so, about to go oh, yeah, against me I right am, now? I, so here's the deal: you notice that every time you've made a pick and you've you've just had the ball rolling, even even when you're like, well, I guess the lock of the week's dead. You came in like Eeyore and saying it was a push or blah 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 or the line move. <laughs> I've done nothing but hype you up. You have. You know sure. what I haven't said? You know what I haven't said all season? Water finds its effing level, Connor. Oh, my I'm going to say water finds its Why? level strictly because you, cause you just made me bet on Nebraska. Yeah, I did. Yeah, okay. that's your own fault. Fair enough. Um, okay, so here's what I'm going to go with. <laughs> I, and and uh, this, is not a final, this is not a final answer here, but I'm going to say the over, the first half over between Liberty and NC State, it's 32 Love it. Let's Liberty go. has been putting up so many points in the first half of games. They're oh, on the road think? against NC State. They've won their last five games, I think, against the, the ACC now because the game against Virginia Tech, dating back to last Syracuse. season. They beat Syracuse twice. They've beaten um, – they beat someone else this year earlier. I can't remember who it was, but they, they've won 
I think five in a row now in the in the ACC, and they've won like in like kind of convincing fashion in a lot of ways. They're really good in the first half of games. NC State's defense is not great, uh, but their offense they they score early. If you saw the Miami game, um, they put up a lot of points in the first half as well. First half over thirty two points. You're betting on Malik Willis, and I couldn't be more proud of you. <laughs> so I've been betting on Liberty in the first like Liberty in the first half this season, whether it's like the spread or total or whatever, has been like my Ohio State and Clemson. Wow, unbelievable. Yep. Um, uh, very had it. Go ahead. Oh, you have more. You have more. So uh, we did this segment a couple weeks ago, and I want to know. Uh, we're going to get back to it because I feel like I've got a couple questions that there's some some intriguing lines from the Big Ten. And I need to know from you, the expert, on uh, uh, this is smart or, or dumb. I took a goose egg last week. So um, you say that term expert, and I shake my head violently. Okay, fair enough. Um, thank you for the confidence boost. So, <laughs> all right. Maryland get minus six. I don't know if that game is completely canceled. I think I think they just postponed the time. I like, I'm like. i going to take Maryland money line. I think that's a great pick. Might tie it in a couple of parlays. Um, okay, that's one. I'm not even going to get into the Ohio State-Indiana game because I think that's, I guess, could be worrisome. Northwestern getting seven and a half at home against uh, Wisconsin. Badgers don't win in Evanston. Really? Was that they're, a thing? They're one in, they're one in five in their last Ooh, six trips like to that. Evanston. Um, I picked Northwestern to cover. I think Wisconsin wins that game. Okay, so that might be prime for a teaser, too, because the over is only like 43, and I think it's going to be – like both play good defense, but I think it's going to be over. The grass is going to be knee-high in oh, Evanston Jesus. come Saturday. Yeah, So awful. Uh, okay, so I like that. And then last but not least, I'll probably stay away from this one, to be honest. But Iowa is favored on the road at Penn State. <sighs> I picked Penn State to cover. That's fair. And – I did it somewhat begrudgingly because we're dealing with a quarterback change right now. The Sean Clifford thing fell apart. Man, I watched I watched that entire game last week, and Sean Clifford was just terrible. Um, so that's probably got something to do with that. But, man, I have no confidence right now in Penn State. I was confident, though. Iowa coming off this win against against Minnesota where, goodness gracious, like they, they dropped the hammer. Kirk Ferentz is, is saying afterwards, oh, yeah, we didn't want to leave any of those timeouts up there. Like, I was all of a sudden got a little bit of swag, so I, I, yeah, that's that's probably why they're favored. Yeah, that's fair. And Penn State's zero four, which is a big part of that too. Um, last but not least, who are you taking Indiana Ohio State? <sighs> I took Indiana, and I based it on what Tom Allen said about how Indiana head coach who came out and said, "Yeah, we we take it as a slight that we're a three touchdown underdog in this game." Like that's something that they he legitimately addressed in the locker room yeah. and said. You better believe that's going to motivate this team. I don't think I don't think my alma mater's winning this game. I'm not saying that. I'm not. But of, of course, I got to take Indiana to cover twenty and a half. Come We've on, lost like by twenty one or more in the last four straight years. I know, and that's like the longest active FBS streak is Ohio State beating Indiana. Is it twenty two? It's twenty five, <laughs> and it was a tie the last time they did. Oh yeah, it it'll be fun. So. It'll be a fun game regardless. But in like. I love. I just love Tom Tom Allen because every time I hear his name, it reminds me of like like a Disney Channel version of like Tim Allen, Um, and just he seems like a really great guy. First off, and and it would be awesome if Ohio State could lose. (laughs) There it is. Uh, Not betting Ohio State first half money line or not first uh, first half spread. Yeah, it's fourteen. No. Okay. Yeah. Too much. All right. We had a great interview with Matt Barry. Uh, I'm gonna apologize ahead of time. 
my voice, if you hear it, it's going to sound a little bit echoey. I'm so sorry. I am in my new house. We are still figuring out the exact podcast recording setup. Um, a little bit different for calls as opposed to just recording with, with Wi-Fi and what we normally do. So I apologize for the echo in my voice, but the interview was great, great stuff. I can't believe we didn't have him on before. Just slid in the DMs as, as we as we sometimes will do. And he's he was great. And yeah. um, I think people will really, really enjoy this. So here is our interview with Matt Berry. We're now excited to be joined by a very special guest. It is a first time guest, in fact. It is ESPN studio host, Matt Berry. You probably have seen him on SportsCenter. If you've been watching college football on a given Saturday on ESPN, you have seen him. Um, Matt, you've got a ton of things in your Twitter bio, but I, I think there's another thing that you can claim. If you're watching a college football game on ESPN, ESPN2, ABC, or whatever, on a given Saturday in the fall, we hear your voice a lot. I think you can claim that on Saturdays, we as college football fans hear from you more often than any other human being in our lives. Have you thought about making that claim? Gentlemen, I hope you're enjoying this presentation of ESPN's college football. <laughs> I'm gonna have to move ahead in this interview. Um, yeah, it's funny because, first of all, happy to be on with you guys. Uh, love what you guys do for college football. And when I going into last season, which is the first season I'd taken over that college football studio role at ESPN with Jesse and Joey, my producer said, hey, look, uh, we need to take the JIP. And JIP stands for Join in Progress. I said, all right, let me know when you want to do it. They said, well, make sure – you're good with how you look. Make sure you like your tie, your tie straight and everything, because this will be seen probably more than anything you do <laughs> for the rest of your time here at ESPN. And I started laughing. I thought it was full of it. And then, yeah, it's just, it's, it's everywhere. I get mad at myself. We were doing, um, when, during the pandemic and we were doing these flashback Thursdays, um, it popped up during the national championship game uh, with LSU and Clemson. And people were getting on me on Twitter. They're like, dude, where do we have to go? We're in quarantine. We don't have to go anywhere. There aren't time <laughs> So it's become an unfortunate thing, but it's fun to laugh about and have fun with. So last year we spent a, a fall Saturday with our guys over at SEC Network, and we got the behind-the-scenes look at how, you know, Dari and Peter Burns and Gene Chizik, Chris Doring, how all those guys operate on a typical Saturday. It was su super eye-opening for us because what you don't realize is how laser-focused you have to be in order yeah. to process highlights with having, you know, the on-air producer constantly in your ear. Can you explain how crazy your in-studio Saturdays are? They're crazy, but they're fun. Um, there are so many things that go into it. You know, we get there at about 11.30 a.m. Eastern, and at that point we've got an eight-pack of monitors uh, set up to get all the games on. So we've got every game that, that you know, in each particular window that we're going to be watching. And then at that point, I, I start doing cut-ins at noon Eastern. So when you're watching the game and the play-by-play -play -play guys go back to the studio on Matt Berry. So I've got my IFB in essentially from 11.30 a.m. to 2 a.m. Eastern. And I'm doing cut-ins uh, for all the ESPN games. And so, yeah, throughout the course of the game, you've got to be paying attention to games, watching games, laughing and messing around with Jesse Palmer and Joey Galloway, and then paying attention to the producer who's going to get here and say, hey, after the next play, we got to do the Rocket Mortgage Studio Update. And he tells you the play. I write it down. Nine times out of ten, I can't read my own writing. So if it's, not a, if, if it's an off game where it's not one of the bigger games and you're looking at it again, making sure you got the kid's name right. 
And then you're prepping for halftime. And you get ready to go up and do the halftime show. Then you're doing a studio cut-in on camera to tease people what's coming up at halftime. And you literally rinse and repeat. You do that for the noon game, the 3.30 game, the 7 p.m. game, typically a 10, 15, or Pac-12 after dark, although some of those have been canceled. You do all of that. So you're done servicing all these games, doing all these cut-ins, doing all these halftimes. And then we've got to muster up the energy and the brain cells to then do college football final somewhere at around 1 a.m. Gosh. Sounds awful, to be honest. I mean, you should but probably see, that's the thing job. is I wouldn't trade uh, it. Like we we joke when we're walking in, like it's the last time we'll see sunlight when we're walking down the Green Mile to go into the studios because we're not coming out till the next morning. And we joke around about it. Yeah, we get tired, but we also know it's a four and a half month stretch that in the middle of you know April, May, and June we'd yeah. love to do. I hear you. I, I I mean, like, I complain about, not complain, but I always tell, like, my friends, like, want to do anything on Saturday. I'm like, I can't, man. I got to work all day. I got to I gotta write tweets and, and sit there and run social media for SDS all day. And it's like, it's not, in the grand scheme of things, it's not difficult. It's a lot of fun. Um, but, yeah, that, that sounds like an even better day. I, I will say, you and ATL's finest, L. Duncan, are my all-time favorite sports center duo. Um, and I used to love watching you all on Saturdays right before game day, and you all do, like, the game day signs or whatever um every saturday so a little bit different role i guess this year like you were saying you know the all-day coverage show with jesse and joey and, and doing the uh the, the college ball final what has been your favorite part of saturdays this football season and why is it betting on maction maction is amazing first of all it's it's like when we when i got asked to call maction a couple of seasons ago i would do i would call those games do play by play for those and go to some of these cities in the mac and you realize when you're calling a game how much people literally invest in watching this midweek football because it's so, I mean, it's just, it makes zero sense, right? Tuesday and Wednesdays in Oxford, Ohio and Buffalo and, and Western Michigan and all these great Mac schools, but it's good for the conference because they get the whole show to themselves. But yeah, for the, you know, for the degenerates out there who like to get a little early action, maybe catch up from all the money they lost the week before, get ahead the week ahead. You know, look, it's good football. And for me on Saturdays, the, the best part is, and I, I did, I did that uh, Sports Center AM leading into game day for five years. It started with Sarah Walsh, and then Al came in, and, and Al did it with me for a few years. And, and then last year was actually the first Saturday. Uh, the first year I hadn't done it, I, I used to love that show because it was really the game day before game day. But now that I'm doing this studio role, I think my favorite part is the all-day banter with Jesse and Joey. Some of the stuff that we talk about while we're watching games um, is just hilarious. And we go back at each other. We're always getting after – you know, we, we, we pretty much bully each other for 15 hours a day until it's time for final. <laughs> And we don't want to talk to each other anymore because we're just tired and sick of each other. But it really is, you know, that segment that we do on College Football Final, that's a dollar. That actually came from us sitting there for 15 hours. And every time someone would get tripped up by a replay thinking that it was a live play, and be like, oh, watch this touchdown. Or Jesse will inevitably drop his mic pack. Or Joey will do something. We would find each other a dollar. And we're like, you know what? Why don't we make that a segment this year in College Football Final? So, it just got, I hate the cliche locker room um, talk or, you know, whatever the case might be, but it re, it's really what it is. It's just three guys in there watching college football and uh, laughing and making fun of each other and sometimes making fun of what we see on TV. 
I want to say that you're the first Pac-12 grad that we've interviewed on this podcast. And if you're not, you're one of the very, very few. State the case for an unbeaten Pac-12 school to be playoff worthy. And keep in mind that our listeners will totally flood your mentions if you say that a Pac-12 team deserves a playoff spot over a second SEC team. Great. I'll help you out. They don't. <laughs> I mean, you know, as, much, as much as I love my alma mater, Arizona State, um, you know, they got started too late. And, and look, watching how lucky USC got against the Sun Devils and how they got lucky last week against Arizona, they're not a playoff team. I think eventually you're going to see all of these star power that left Oregon from Herbert to Penny Sewell and some of these other players. I don't think they have what it takes to hang out with a second SEC team. And when we got into this season, there was, there was one, and I've said this from day one, there was one conference and one team that could get away with a shortened season, and it was Ohio State. Because they were going to be one of the best teams in the country regardless. And so, you know, I was happy that the Pac-12 got back to playing football. Um, Arizona State's obviously had two games canceled because of COVID. But for, and I am honored, by the way, to be the, the Pac-12 representative here on your guys' podcast. Uh, but I do my ties to the SEC. Um, I worked in Columbia, South Carolina, for three yeah. years at the CBS station in Columbia. The first year Steve Spurrier got there, so not only was I in a great town like Columbia, I got to watch the ball coach build a program, which for me was was incredible. So. I- I mean, my family lives in Lexington, uh, and, I, and I lived in Columbia for a while. My sister went to USC. Um, for two questions here. One, confirm my just absolutely undying annual take that Columbia is the hottest place on earth. And two, uh, whoever the next coach is at, at South Carolina, are, are we going to see somebody that's able to build that program back up to where it was, or are we going to see a program that might have a little bit of a ceiling over it? Question one, in terms of the heat in Columbia, when I lived there in the summer, it was like leaving your apartment and walking into a mouse. It was disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> think about that for a minute. That's what it was like. I was, what, what am I? This it's like suffocating. absolutely brutal. So, yes, it is one of the hottest places on earth. It's just sitting in the bowl of South Carolina, and it, it was brutal in terms of heat, but I, I lifelong friends and memories there. In terms of South Carolina, when we break down what Steve Spurrier did at Florida, I would argue that what he did at South Carolina was as impressive, if not more, when you take into consideration the history of that program. Guys, he won 11 games three consecutive years at a place that saw nothing but failure. He was getting the top-rated recruits in the country. He was getting the Devian Clowney. It was a trendy place to go to school for a while in the SEC because of Steve Spurrier. So it can be done. And I think he used that motto at his opening press conference when we were there. He said, why not us? Why not the University of South Carolina? They've developed and sunk money into the facilities, so they're on par with everybody else in the conference. And so to answer the question, yeah, if you get the right coach and the right fit for what they can do, which is why I've been out on social media and I'm not hiding the fact that I think Hugh Freeze needs to be the guy. Mm -hmm. Billy Napier makes sense. He's got ties to the area. 
He's an up-and-coming coach, but he's only been a head coach for two years. The fact right. is, Billy Napier is going to get an opportunity. But are South Carolina fans willing to be patient with an inexperienced head coach taking over a program in the SEC East? That's something that I just don't know that they are willing to be patient for. You, you tweeted last week that pace of play is ruining the sport and we have to find, refine the review process. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. In more than 280 characters, go off about what you think needs to be done with that. All right, so I will admit the comment comes selfishly from the fact that when we're sitting there on a Friday night and we know we've got a long Saturday ahead of us and we're getting ready to wait and do the halftime for the Friday night game, and there's reviews and stoppages and reviews and mm-hmm. stoppages. And we just want to get home because we know we've got a huge Saturday ahead of us. Then you really start. I don't know if, because we critically watch games because it's when it decides when we come on TV next. And I didn't realize how bad it was until I watched critically before halftime or after halftime how absolutely atrocious the replay system is. I mean, it's, yes. it's laughably bad to the point where if you guys are ever, and I'll, I'll challenge all the listeners to do this just because I'm going to tell you to go to a bar and drink, eat wings, and watch NFL football. <laughs> if, you're in a, if you're in a crowded bar, if you're in a bar on Sundays, which we can't do right now because of the pandemic, but let's just say in your area you can, and it's a bar that's got Sunday NFL tickets, I promise you every single game will be at halftime within a few minutes of each other. And every game will end within a few minutes of each other. There are games at noon Eastern that don't end till after 4 p.m. And there is no reason for college football taking four hours. It's the same sport as the NFL. Figure out a way to have a central located system for every single conference to just review touchdowns no matter what. Just review it. You don't need to stop and then have the official run over to the monitor to look at a monitor the size of my iPhone screen to determine whether it's a touchdown mm-hmm. or not. Just look at it. Have it reviewed. Targeting. Targeting needs to get fixed. I think it's ruined the sport. Preach. I'm all in for player safety, and I think that we need to do it, but we need to find out a way to where we're not wasting six minutes of review to determine intent. And so, right. it's look, it's, it's, it's become a problem, and I think that there needs to be a way to streamline these games to where, guys, I'm talking – maximum length, three and a half hours, unless you're talking about a seven-overtime game between Texas A&M and LSU. That's a good point. Yeah, stop giving Auburn wins. They don't deserve. I think we could all agree with that. <laughs> so, so yeah, well, Matt, you've got, a, <laughs> you've got a bone to pick with college football. I, I've got a, a bone to pick with you. I saw your Sunday morning drink for the Masters. You drink Bloody Marys. Why? Because they are the they are God's gift to morning oh. cocktails, and I'll oh tell you gosh. why. There's hangovers. I'm, look, at, at first I wasn't into them either, and then I had a really good Bloody Mary experience about a decade ago. I was in Vegas, saying that I was hungover is being polite. Like it was <laughs> beyond the point. Like if if well, let's just say it was bad. And so we went, and I had a, a remarkable Bloody Mary experience, and it actually made me feel better, and I actually enjoyed it. So then I started picking up on it more and more and more. Well, then when we lived in Dallas, we, uh, 
we lived in Dallas for five years. I was at the NBC station out there before moving to ESPN eight years ago. And there was this big St. Patty's Day parade that they would have in an area of Dallas. And a buddy of mine came over, him and his girlfriend, and we were all hanging out at our place. And he brought a Bloody Mary kit. He's like, dude, we got to have one of these before we go down to Lower Greensville. I was like, great, I'll have one. And it was at that point, I'm like, you know what? This is how I'm going to start my day when I have the chance to start my day. So coming off a 15-hour Saturday, I wake up with the Sunday stupids to begin with because I don't know where I am. What's the harm in vodka, bacon, and a little Bloody Mary juice and sriracha to get your life right? See, so like, like I, I hate tomato juice. And, and like I, as somebody yeah. I've worked in it for like about a decade, I, I've never been a Bloody Mary fan. But I, I had a feeling, not just with like your personality, but also the fact you went to Arizona State, that, mm. that Bloody Mary um, – uh, you know, the love of Bloody Marys was, was probably coming from a place of, of darkness and, and, and hangovers and, like, and like necessity. So, like, I, we're going to let it slide. We're going to let it slide with you because I, I feel like it, it was obviously uh, – it was much needed for sure. The, the morning in Vegas where I had my first Bloody Mary, I woke up and my liver was sitting next to me smoking a cigarette. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, been there. Like, we'll, uh, fix this, I we'll fix it. I think uh, last time I was there, I was like, oh, my gosh, it's so early. And I had woken up that morning, and it was like 3.30 <laughs> in the afternoon. So, uh, all oh, right, uh, enough Vegas stories because we're going to get in trouble here. But um, so we talk about this, I feel like, every single year. And, and really, though, it, it feels like with how crazy and, you know, all the uncertainty of 2020 has brought to just the world in general. Now is probably the time more than ever. Like, are, is this the year we could finally see a group of five school make the playoff and and also, who would your top four uh, be be today? All right, so I've had this conversation a lot because, as you guys know, there has always been uh, the outcry by some, it's never been me, to allow a group of five school in. And while I understand some of the merits of those arguments, I just don't know that a group of five goes through the same schedule week in and week out that some of the group of five or the power five do. I know Clemson's different. The ACC is down. I get that, but at least they've produced in games against SEC teams, Alabama. Mm -hmm. So I have often said that if there was going to be a year where the committee should do it, they could get away with it this year. And one of two things happens. A group of five team has success in the playoff. Then they're screwed because they got to consider them every year. Or right. a group of five get, team gets in there, gets pummeled, and it puts the argument to rest. I'm not saying it. Look, here's the biggest difference with, with group of fives. They're starting 11, you could argue, for a team like Cincinnati or BYU. Is that really a group of five? They're an independent. But if you look at those two programs, you could argue that their starting five is as good as some of the top ten teams in the country. Or their starting 11, their starting lineup, is as good as any team in the country. It's about depth with the power five. Mm -hmm. And so once you get into a group of fives two deep and three deep in a game, that's where you're going to run into problems. And I just don't know that it would be – good enough to sustain it against an Alabama, a Notre Dame, an Ohio State, a Clemson, even Florida, who I still have ranked over Texas A&M. Even Texas A&M beat them 
But I, you know, but if there was going to be a year where the committee could roll the dice, they could do it and really do a, an experiment for everyone to get excited over. What happens first? A Pac-12 team wins a national championship or Jesse Palmer's looks take a severe nosedive? And I tell you what, you know how much I got to moisturize and try to keep up with Palmer? It's like, <laughs> hey, you're going to be our new Cosmopolitan studio host. Go sit next to Palmer for 16 weeks a year. Um, he's actually, let's, let's play a little game here. How old do you think Jesse Palmer is? 53. Wait, say it again. He's he's got to be yeah he's got to be right around I guess forty right because he played in ninety nine. Forty two. Jesus, I, I guessed it. I guessed old. it on the first time. Yeah, so wow. forty two years old. Um, so I would say let's let's project that Palmer's looks are going to fade by the time he's forty eight to fifty. Right. Let's just. <laughs> Let's for the sake of this conversation, like if Palmer's in his peak right now, 42 years old, won't get better looking when he's 50. So that gives me an eight-year buffer for Herm Edwards to rise up and build ASU into a national championship caliber program or USC to hire Urban Meyer. So uh, let's, go, let's go Palmer's looks last longer uh, than, a U, than a Pac-12 team winning the national championship. Oh, that's ambitious. That's oh, really yeah. ambitious. Uh, this is going to make sense to absolutely no one, but I, I just need to ask it. And I'm not sure if you've ever heard this before. I highly doubt you have. I've long had this theory about you and your Maddie and the Caddy uh, podcast co-host, Michael Collins. You share a striking resemblance to Jason Bateman, and I am convinced that Michael is Darius Rucker. Confirm or deny that? Okay. One, the Jason Bateman thing comes up all the time. I tweeted out the... Uh, mm. Sunday Bloody Sunday video, and my buddy Rosillo quote tweeted it, Ryan Rosillo asking me how money laundering was going. So <laughs> the, the Bateman stuff comes up all the time, but which my wife cannot, she, she, she hates it because she's like, no, you're, she, she doesn't like comparison Bateman. She gets it, but she doesn't like it. So I hear the Bateman thing all the time. And actually, Michael Collins, when he was a, a little skinnier, he his nickname used to be Little Hootie. What? So Little Hootie, I you love nailed. It. I mean, you, you nailed wow. it. He was, yeah, Little Hootie was his name on tour when he used to be a caddy on tour. So between uh, Darius and Bateman, we've got, a, we've got a good thing going, and it's not their bank account. God, that's so that's – so, I mean, I used to just get Rachel Maddow until I finally grew out a beard and, uh, and gained weight. But, it, I mean, it took a lot. It took a lot of effort to get away from that. So, um, all right, so – I asked this question all last week. Um, I threw it out to you on Twitter uh, as well. And even though the Masters is over, I hate cliches, and I hate the cliche of, like, what's your dream foursome for golf? I want to know your nightmare foursome for golf, the worst possible foursome you'd play in, because um, I think we're going to have someone in common, and it might be Dan Wolken all three times. Yeah, but see, he's the kind of guy that would show up. He'd be late to the tee time, one, two, mm. He'd be the guy that would bring the orange whip to the tee box, over warm up, yeah. over stretch. He's also the dude that gives you unsolicited advice. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, hey man, you should wear you should wear two gloves with the pandemic going on. Um, oh, God. <laughs> That's good. So we'll take Walken out of it. 
because I think he's he's assumed that he's on all of ours. Um, yeah. Nightmare foursome. My let's go. That is a really good question because here I was prepared by the way you were leading me to it. I was going to give you my dream foursome. Let's see here. Oh, okay. Anybody who plays any sport at U of A. Put an Arizona person mm-hmm. on there, an Arizona Wildcat. So number one, anyone who goes to Arizona, because okay. they're 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 obnoxious individuals. Number two, God, this is a really really good question because I don't want to say anything that's going to get me in trouble. Oh, you um, definitely should. Oh, I I I, I could have given you three ten minutes ago, but I would have gotten in trouble for every single one of them. <laughs> Yeah, you know what? Let's just go Walken, Walken, Walken. Who, uh, yeah. who's, who's another one? That, that, that'll be my bailout. Let's go Dan Walken, anybody from Arizona, and Joe Germain from Ohio State. Oh, love it. taking the national it. championship away from the Sun Devils in the Rose Bowl. Was that 96? Wow. That's a good list. Yeah, that is that's a really, really good. really good list. Um. God, I haven't heard Joe, Jer- Joe Germain in, in a long time. All right, we're going to close with this. This is a, this is a game I like to play called Two Minute Drill. And, and I, I cannot okay. emphasize the two-minute part as, as like enough because the last two times we've done this with our good buddies Adam Kramer and Peter Burns, it went 13 minutes and 18 minutes. So it's rapid-fire questions. We can go over two minutes, but it's rapid-fire. First thing that comes to your mind, are you ready to play? Oh, I've got this shot in my bag. Let's roll. All right, so um, two minutes on the clock. Your first question, if you were a character on The Office, who would you be? You faded at the beginning of the question. Say it again. Oh, if you were a character on The Office, who would you be? Never watched The Office. <gasps> oh, come on. All right, interview's over. Yeah, that was Dang. tough. Okay, it didn't work out well. I, you know um, what? I get, th- I get that a lot, by the way. <laughs> People are so offended by that. But I'm convinced if I picked it up now, I would love it. And there's no, I don't have an excuse for as to why I didn't watch it. There wasn't anything that I just didn't watch it. That's fair. All right, we'll let that one slide. We'll let that one slide. Um, okay, next question. More well manicured, the greens at Augusta or Jesse Palmer's facial scruff? Greens at Augusta, not even close. Palmer does have Ooh. a good shave about it, but the greens at Augusta are absolutely magnificent. I, I really would like you to start start calling him Jason Scruffner. Just throwing that out there. It's really good. Um, feel free to use that if you'd like. Uh, favorite booze? F- favorite booze for a game day tailgate? For a game day tailgate, booze. Um, I'm mm-hmm. a big. I love vodka. I'm a big Beluga yes. vodka guy and a Tito's vodka guy. And then I'll always have something vodka to start off with, and then I'm rolling. Uh, either Pacifico or Dos Equis with a lime all day. That's fancy. That's fancy. Usually I'm, I'm just rolling to more vodka uh, or shots of Fireball and then throwing up. So there's that. Uh, you, you are now basically one of the biggest college football media personalities, whatever you want to call it. Who are the worst college football fans on Twitter? Michigan. Ooh. Mm. That's fair. The answer is Tennessee. Yeah. But Michigan I feel like by just the Tennessee Michigan the by a North. long shot. It's, That's you fair. know they. I like that. They they tend to uh, 
I mean, all college football fans are passionate. That's why we love the sport. But they get real defensive real quick. Mm-hmm. I can see that. I can see that. Um, okay, next question. Pronounce – I can't do it, so you're going to do it for me. Pronounce Clemson's freshman quarterback's name. DJ Uyangalale. Now spell it. All right. U I A N G A L E I L A Uyangalale. You know, honestly, in hindsight, I, I probably should have looked that up to see if you were right. But just from the <laughs> sheer effort, and it sounded like we we're at an actual spelling bee, I'm going to give it to you right there. I'm, I'm giving you the points. Dude, um, okay. you guys can't come with Go that ahead. smoke. I hosted the spelling bee two years in a row. You're, you can't. True. Wait, what? Dang, I forgot about that. Oh, yeah. I wish I would have known I that. I was there for the I finished second. eight-time champ, eight champs. Wow. Oh, yeah, a couple years ago. I, Connor, I don't know if I've ever even told you this. I, I finished second in my eighth-grade spelling bee. Because I spelled haphazard wrong, because I thought it was spelled like the Dukes of Hazards, because I'm white trash. So um, there's that. All right, next question: Bucket list concert. You know, I would love to see a concert of. Do they have to be alive? No, whoever you want. All right, I would go. You know, I. I grew up a huge. I love Michael Jackson. I'd love to see in his prime, going to a Michael Jackson concert just to see the absolute show of it. That's that's a fantastic answer. I used to have the DVD of him live in Bucharest. So yeah, that's points for sure. You are firing on all cylinders here. Next question: Who is the Arizona State of the SEC? Ooh, so you're talking about a team and a program that has potential. They just haven't tapped into it fully yet i love this question because now i'm going to the sec east right now there's too much history with some of the ones that i want to say you know who i would i would lean on for that one i would say someone like ole miss who has had some good seasons in their past they can get talent because of their proximity to a city like memphis it's a good campus. It's a historical campus. It's noted for all of the right reasons in terms of like tailgating and the fun. And I really believe you get the right coach there. They could pop off a season where they could, you know, if Alabama's down or LSU's down or Auburn's down, you could find yourself in the SEC championship. I think I'm going to go uh, Ole Miss on that one. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, okay, we have Thanksgiving coming up next week. What's the most overrated Thanksgiving dish? Oh my God! There's a there's. First of all, I don't. But this is probably going to alienate me from the entire Southern audience. I'm not big on dousing everything with gravy. I'm just not. Um, <laughs> That's fair. I'm sorry. I think I think mashed potatoes and I, I'm not a big mashed potatoes guy. I think mashed potatoes are a little overrated. Oof. You you throw me turkey stuffing. You give me some. Um, you give me some mashed potatoes with some flair. If you throw in, you know, some of the some cheese, some <laughs> sriracha, almost like a, uh, a mashed potato version of like a grit, I'm all in. But I would say just mashed potatoes and gravy is the most overrated. 
Okay. I, I mean, there's a lot of things you could have said on this podcast that would have offended me, but not a mashed potatoes guy is, I mean, that was, that's right up there with it. Uh, all right. We have three more and, and we'll call it a day here. What is your go-to karaoke song? Don't stop believing. Oh, God. one day someone's going to also say share uh, if I could turn back time. But that no, day is not, not today. No. No, you're right. They probably I, won't. Um, you weren't getting right, it. All right, last two. Not that day. Fair enough. <laughs> um, who wins the Heisman Trophy this year? Justin Fields has momentum. Trevor Lawrence was the early favorite. I think Malik Willis is an awesome story at Liberty. Ooh, amen. Let's go. I would, I think it's going to be Justin Fields. Okay. All right. Um, and last but not least, most important question of the day, who wins the national, ti- national championship? Alabama. You know what? That's how you finish a damn two-minute drill right there, Matt. Remarkable. Very solid. Very solid. As a lifelong Bama fan, I'll, I'll give you some extra point, points here. Let me add this up. That's a score of 69 points. That's a near-perfect score. That's fantastic. Look, you know what? I, I feel my uh, ability to answer questions and be honest, like not watching The Office and, you know, letting you guys know that I, I did the spelling bee, even though I sounded out Uyanga Lele. Uh, really led to what I feel was a very respectable and remarkable pro uh, performance on your program. And oh, I love how you said program at the end there too. I feel like that's that's bonus points right there. And the Malik Willis answer, you have no idea how many points that got you in this person's eyes, but that was a big time answer. This has been uh, it's been a lot of fun, Matt slash uh, Jason Bateman. We're going to have to do this again sometimes. (laughs) Everybody who's watching college football, we're going to know on a given Saturday that you've got a million people in your ear and by that 1 a.m. slot, you're just basically a zombie at that point. We can tweet anything at you. I think that's what you open the door for. Are you good with that? Yeah, absolutely. 1 a.m., I'm so quick triggered to to keep the Jason Bateman parlance on Ozark. Anybody who comes at me (laughs) is is basically the Snells, and they better look out because I'm coming at your ass at 1 a.m. Perfect. Perfect. Matt, this has been awesome. We'll talk soon, man. Love it, boys. Thank you very much. Have a good rest of the season. Excellent. You too. All right. Let's close out fourth and wrong Bagman edition. We've got a lot of questions. We asked for them. We got them. Yeah. Thank you to everybody in our Facebook group who replied to Jay Woody, the message that he posted. Bagman Week basically means ask us any and all questions um, about your team, and we will ask them. So I want to start with, let's start with the one from, I like this one from Michael Simmons. He says, what scenario has to happen for Kirby to be kicked out of Athens? <laughs> <laughs> so I brought up that stat earlier about how Kirby Smart, 45 consecutive games coaching as a top 10 team. Mark Rick's longest streak in Athens, 16 games. 16 games. Mark Rick went three years without playing a game as a top-10 team. Do we think Kirby Smart is ever going to go three years at Georgia without playing a game as a top-10 team? No way. Absolutely no chance. I don't think that Kirby Smart's going to get the same sort of treatment as Mark Richt. I think they have led different tenures, despite the fact that their overall records are similar. I think they have gotten to it in different ways. But I think that Kirby getting kicked out of Athens would have to be like a year eight 
this falls apart, all of a sudden they Harbaugh. win seven games. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I think that's that's the example where you feel like the moment has come and gone. Guys aren't responding the same way. He's not recruiting at the same sort of level. Right. But I don't, I don't even think that would be until like, you know, this is year five. I think probably like year seven, year eight would be when those conversations would start to happen. Yeah, you know, it's like one of those things, the grass is always greener, and I've been very critical of Kirby for a bunch of stuff, and, and I, I definitely get the comp to, to Mark Riggs on it. But, I mean, there's a difference between we haven't won the big game and we haven't been able to get over the hump and, like, we've had leads and blown them versus we're just not even in contention. for You know what I mean? Like, where it's like a blowout. And, and like, I mean, like, think about the, just just the Bama game and, like, remove this this year especially, but, like, the last time Mark Rick coached against Nick Saban, it was they were favored in the game in 2015. Favored. It's the only time in a decade they've, like Bama has not been the favorite going into a game, and they got beat 38 to 10. It, it, Kirby has d- just done wonders I think for that program, and they were coming off you know a three game slide or uh, or I think two, they lost two in a row to Florida. I mean he lost to like all five rivals his his first year, so I, I think as long as he avoids stuff like that, I mean they're still they're still winning at a ridiculous clip, and so that's like. Yeah, you want to get over the hump and win a national championship, but like you also don't want to take it for granted these like eleven win seasons. Exactly, and I think that's what needs to be remembered. Kirby Smart, this is the first time, so three consecutive years in which Georgia has had a national championship chance yeah. in December. In Mark Rick's fifteen years at Georgia, you want to know how many times Georgia has actually been alive for a national championship in December? Probably none. Two. Well, twenty twelve SEC championship, of course. Oh yeah, yeah, that's fair. And then two thousand two was the other time. Um, but even then, it was like they didn't fully control their own destiny. Like in the top five in December with one loss, essentially, is what, is what we're talking about. Here. Right. So like that, that I, think, I think that stuff matters. And that's why I don't think as much as people might be frustrated the national championship hasn't happened yet, Kirby being kicked out of Athens is going to take much more than what's currently going on. Yeah, agreed. Um, okay. Um, Dallas Trailer says, how long will the Razorbacks be able to hold on to Barry Odom? I, I think it's a good question. Odom is like one of those guys that I think it's like the opposite of like Muschamp or or these like coordinators that want to like hurry up and get to the next job. I, I think I mean Barry Odom loved Missouri, like loved Missouri. He like did. he he played there, he coached there. Like he was very very proud to be the head coach at the at the University of Missouri. But I would say he probably has a sour taste in his mouth leaving the way he did because of of some of like the you know. I think he'd done a lot of good for that program, and then it kind of ended in a less than, um, I don't know, desirable way. I, I think he stays at, at, at Arkansas, and, and I think this kind of like has rejuvenated how he feels maybe about coaching, where it's like, this is fun again, and, and you're in a situation where you're not getting blamed for stuff all the time, and you're also getting credited for stuff that's like positive. So, I, you know, I don't think he's in any hurry to leave that. I think – we have seen a shift in the way that big time power five coordinators are treated Mm -hmm. in the last few years. And I think that kind of suggests that somebody like Barry Odom, who, you know, I I, personally, I don't think he's a head coach. I don't know if he had that realization and if he aspires to become a power five head coach again, I don't think he gets a power five head coaching job unless it's a really bad one after this year, because he's still very, you know, very closely tied to, you know, Mizzou where it just doesn't necessarily turn into much of anything. And so if you're Barry Odom, you have a situation now where 
you can kind of set your set your dollar amount at Arkansas. You're running that defense. You're getting that sort of respect. You're recruiting at a pretty good level too, and they're going to recruit exceptionally well with Sam Pittman. I cannot emphasize that enough. You're going to get talent to be able to work with. I actually think he stays there like three years. And I think we've seen yeah. more and more coordinators at big-time programs. You know, Kevin Steele's of the world. Dave Aranda stayed longer than we thought. Todd Grantham's now been at Florida for three years. Say what you want about him, but he still had interest at the NFL level. Mike Elko is in year three at Texas A&M. I think Arkansas is able to get at least three years out of Barry Odom. Yeah, I agree. Um, good question. I like that question a lot. Uh, I feel like Arkansas fans will be um, answering that one for, for a while. Um, let's see. <laughs> this one's from James M. Camphor. This isn't about a team necessarily. Chris Marler, will Connor O'Gara be in your wedding? First off, are we assuming that I'm actually going to get married? Seriously, <laughs> when's it going to happen? Um, I, we haven't planned it at all. I mean, you know that you're not in my wedding. I don't like. I, yeah, I'm it, well aware of that. <laughs> it's like it's like that's not like a, a slight. Or like you're definitely invited. You were like one of the first people we invited. But yeah, like my like my groomsmen are all like. It's weird too when you get when you get married when you're older. Like, your groomsmen, I'm not saying this about any of my groomsmen in case you're listening, but it's like, there's like an obligatory invite you have to give. Like, if you're in somebody's wedding and they're not in oh, yeah. yours, like, that's like, like, my best man, this is like his sixth best man. So. It's a lot. It's a lot. He's a good, he's a good dude. Um, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. But uh, it, it's like, I mean, yeah, there, there's like people, <laughs> I, don't, I, mean, I don't know, maybe we have to redo it too, because it's like, there's, I mean, we've had one guy we had to kick out. It's a whole other story, but. Yeah, I, I don't. I'm more concerned with the fact that it even happens that we get married. To be honest, at this I'll point. be the guy. I will be in your wedding by virtue of handing out Texas Pete to everyone. How about yeah? That? You might be like there it's like a flower girl situation, but like with Texas Pete. Texas Pete Usher. I think we can yeah. get that official position. I always think of Kelly when uh, she texts Pam immediately after she finds out that she got engaged. Can I be a bridesmaid? Right. <laughs> <So> <laughs> not, like, I forgot about that. Um, okay, so. Christopher Moss brought this up, and we asked this on the past couple of uh, two-minute drills. What's the most overrated Thanksgiving food or dish? Mine's cranberry sauce. It just doesn't do anything for me. It pairs well with the dry turkey that's been overcooked in the oven for 10 hours, but I feel like it's the only time of year to shine in Thanksgiving, and it always falls short, kind of like Georgia. Um, I love that, dude. So, yeah, I've never understood cranberry sauce. It's like... Nor have I. It's like fancy ketchup. I, I, I feel like cranberry sauce was like... Thanksgiving in like 1943 in like Wetumpka, Alabama, Alabama, and they cooked their food. And they're like, oh, f- we don't have ketchup to put on the chicken, which is a ridiculous thing anyway. So they just like mashed together some cranberries and came with cranberry sauce. I don't, I don't get it. I've, I've never been a fan. That's one of the overrated foods. Turkey in general is overrated in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I'm team ham. People know this. I'll eat turkey if it's there, but if I have a choice, ham is what I prefer to go team to. Team ham. Yeah, team ham. I'm definitely going <laughs> to definitely gonna have to hashtag that i yeah. think that there or are a lot of either overrated. way but yeah <laughs> there are a lot of overrated thanksgiving foods yams being one of them what the I, f- is a yam i don't know I, I think the sweet potato casserole with like the the marshmallows on top and stuff like that, that's not really my that, favorite thing either i hate that most casseroles are just like come on well, can do better. i don't know about that casseroles are fantastic casseroles yeah. is like it's like the the absolute, like, giving up, but also, like, you're still trying. It's like, just, I don't know, throw one in the pan and just put it in the oven. I don't I don't know. It, it'll just, until it's a nice golden brown. But, I mean, I, I love a good casserole. Um, also, it's kind of weird, you know what, we'll get weird here. It's kind of weird that, like, when people die, they're like, you know, what should, what should we do to make, like, like cheer them up? 
a casserole. It's always yeah. a casserole. You're 100 percent right. You, when my mom was well, like when when my dad was sick, people would just bring over casserole after casserole for my mom, and she would just have my. We had three freezers, and she yeah. would just stuff them all with <laughs> casseroles. Wait, it's like wh- I know, yeah, it's crazy. Flex, I man. Like casseroles yeah. are to, to to death as like roses are to, to like Valentine's Day. It's weird. I don't get it. Yeah. Like, um, hey, here's this can of uh, cream of mushroom soup, and I dump some, like, <laughs> crispy onions over the top of it. Here you go. Hope you feel better. I love it. That's fantastic. God, that's beautiful. Is that James Joyce? <laughs> All right. You got one more? Yeah, let's do, uh, let's do one more. Um, let's see. Oh, a lot of good ones here. John Picker. John Picker asked a lot of great questions in here. So I, I feel bad not taking one of his, but just know that we, of course. Well, um, ask one of his. I don't see any of his. Okay, um, he asked a question that we've circled around, and this isn't necessarily related to, to Georgia. He's a big Georgia fan. Are there any plans of another possible live event? Yes, but COVID is ruining them. Yeah, so I don't want to say I don't want to say definitively. Yes, we have plans. We have talked in the past about what we'd be able to do. Looking through recently, I was looking through some of the pictures from last year's event that we got to have at the College Football Hall of Fame, so and I was like, fun. "Gosh, remember when life was normal and we could just do things like this? This is yeah. amazing." Um, I'd say, as of right now, there's there's nothing definitive. We would love to be able to do another live event, which we could. You know, I feel like people are safe and pe- people could could have a good time. It would obviously have to be something probably like outdoor, yeah, a situation like that, but. Man, I miss I miss doing live events. I really, really do. I, I've loved the two that we've been able to do so far, um, and that has been a, a bummer not to necessarily have something like that to look forward to. But trust me, if we get that in the works, I don't know when that would be. Everybody is going to know about it. We will we will absolutely shout yeah. it from the mountaintops and make sure that that is something that people are well aware of. Well, I mean, we had we had talked about just we were going to do the the same thing that we did last year at the Cultural Hall of Fame. Um, you know, hopefully, like it wasn't like set in stone, but we were that that was the plan. And then also, we were gonna do like a kickoff thing at the start of the year in like Atlanta for any of like the Atlanta listeners, and 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 have like a, I don't think it was gonna be a huge bar tab, but like you know, a, a, just some drinks and and getting ready for the season. But yeah, this I mean, I'm over over not being able to do stuff. Yeah, it's not great. It is not great. But the good news is, is we still have six SEC games as of right now to yeah. watch. Over this weekend, and as you said earlier, we have a, a good slate. A good yeah. slate, I believe we have. Do you have one more that we want to get to or we want to close out? No, that's good. Okay. Thank you for everybody for submitting questions. Thank you for Jay Woody for putting those together. Thank you to Matt Matt Berry for being able to, yeah. to come on. And I love it when guests give us like, oh, hey, yeah, I don't have a hard out or anything. Let's just roll it back. Let's just go as long as we want. Yeah. That's perfectly fine <laughs> with me. Um, if you are not, make sure that you are following SDS Basketball on Twitter. Adam Spencer is doing some big, big things yeah, this year. with our, our SEC basketball coverage is being taken to a new level. Adam is crushing that. We have a lot of basketball content that is coming out because college basketball is here. It's crazy. Of all the things that have snuck up on me, college Man. basketball is, is certainly one of them. It's a week from today. The NBA drafts tonight. The, the season starts a week from today. Wednesday, yeah. My God, you guys are gonna have to deal with Alabama being good at both sports now. That's that's the that's the vibe that, that many are many are getting. Even I'm writing basketball stories right now. That's how much are we're you? ramping this up. I'm yes, not. I'm, if, if I get asked to do it this year, I'm just gonna say no because I'd never had to do it in the past, and for whatever reason, I I did it from like a betting standpoint, and I I'm convinced that that's what got us into this pandemic. So, just for good <laughs> luck purposes, I'm not doing it. I gotta pee. So, in addition to following SDS basketball, make sure that you're following all of our social media accounts 
at SDS, at SDS Pod, at Vern Funquist, at CG O'Gara, at SEC oh. Football for all of our news. As and our well. shirts. Oh, yes, our shirts. We have yeah. so many shirts. We have shirts that are coming out. Like, how, how many days apart are these shirts coming out? Because it feels like we're coming out with, like, at least one new fire shirt every single week this year. The Master shirt was incredible. Um, th- that was pretty sick. Um, I mean, just, like, the partnership we have with uh, with Breaking Tea has been a lot of fun. But we finally, like, they, they've been, like, most of the shirts have been, like, topical, you know, from stuff like after games or, you know, before rivalries and stuff like that. We just released, like, a whole line of our Saturdays are Better Down South shirt. Just simple. Beautiful. Truth. Uh, love it. So go check those out as well. Go check out SaturdayDownSouth.com and you'll see all of them. Marler, Chris, what do we need to remember on this fine November weekend of college football? Kyle Trash should be the front runner for the Heisman. And it just, it might mean too much. Talk to you guys soon. Right.